Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the second Sunday in Lent. It comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. I'll read that in the English Standard Version. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. All right, in terms of context, um, um, where is Tyre and Sidon? And um, are these the Canaanites? Are these the same Canaanites that were driven out of the land in the days of Joshua? or were commanded by God to drive out of the land? Uh, I thought so, but I yeah. guess I don't know. Uh, <laughs> do you know? No, I think, I I think that's the case. It's the same the same folks yeah. that uh, were allowed to stay, but not, uh, I mean, not driven out completely. Right. And aren't Tyre and Sidon, weren't they part of the, uh, the, the 10 cities of the Phoenicians? Yeah. Isn't, aren't these, aren't these, Toward uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up, Boy, up that north. was uh, that that was a good way to. Uh, I got lucky with those because I had no. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I didn't look anything up about that. Well, it, 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 do you think it's an important detail for uh, preaching to to kind of give them, remind them of the context of who these people were, and where these places are, so that they can put that. I mean within the historical the history, record yeah. of the Old Testament. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think I've ever done that, though. I yeah. think I, I've just always sort of assumed they, they recognized, you know, the, who the Canaanites are, that these are Gentile enemies of Jesus, basically, or of mm-hmm. God. But So is, is this then uh, when our Lord is kind of, well, you read some commentaries and some, um, you know, scholars talk about distinguishing between the Lord's uh, Judean slash Jewish mission and his um, his Gentile kind of Galilean mission. Is this part of that where he's up in the north? He's not excluding the Jews, of course, but he is he is focused on reminding, uh, everyone about the full promises of God, not just the narrow promises to his 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 people of old. Sure, I mean I think it's also uh, it's it's a bit of he's trying to get away. I mean he's uh, 
he, he wants to get out of Judah because it's so hostile. There, there's, okay. a, there's a sense in which he goes up into Galilee and the people are friendlier. I mean, even like, even if you think about the, you know, in Samaria, right, the woman at the well or, or here or, right, they don't have the same sort of, the same sort of direct hostility. It, it's the problem for Jesus is the problem like that we have with the Calvinists, for example. It's, it's that the Pharisees in particular are the closest group to Jesus theologically, Mm. But that that just makes them more annoying in a way because they're they're right they're so close but then where they're wrong it's so frustrating and there's a sense in which he's arguing with them because they're the people he can the most easily talk to they're way better than the Sanhedrin or the uh, Sadducees you know mm-hmm. and they're certainly you know better than the other kind of Hellenized Jews and and even the Zealots so I think uh, you know obviously the Canaanites are further away. But then at the same time, because they're further away, the sort of stakes are lower. Does mm. that make sense? Sure. So there's kind of a, you know, it, 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 they're not mad at him there. You know, it's, it's like they don't have a, a dog in this fight, you know, from their perspective. They do, but they don't, you know what I mean? So I think it's, some of it is, to be sure, right, he does witness to this woman. He does, you know, heal her daughter and he does love her. But, you know, that's really going to be the mission for Paul and the church more mm. than it is for Jesus. So it's a foreshadowing of it, just like it is when he deals with the centurion or, or others. But it seems to me it's more about him wanting to get away. Mm, okay. This when he, when he goes up there. So, so maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, I can't. I talked to someone a, a while ago, um, and he seems to think that there's a certain amount of this is. I'm putting words in his mouth, and it's not exactly what he said. There's a certain amount of annoyance in Jesus uh, that people keep asking him for miracles and they're missing the bigger point. Like he still does them. He pauses to do them. Yeah. He still has mercy on them in that regard, but is often kind of going off alone or withdrawing to this region or to that region to get away from the the, the the constant request to heal this or do that, and because he just wants to preach the gospel. What are your thoughts on that? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think there's. I mean, we don't know what that is. I there was a. I didn't finish the book, but Anne Rice wrote a book about. Gee, she was a Christian for a while. Yeah, I think she's dead now, yeah. but um, I, I think she fell away again. But uh, I, I don't know. I hope she didn't. Anyway, she wrote a book about. A, a novel about Jesus. Yeah. And she had this thing that the miracles, did you tell me to read that book? Is that why I tried to read it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've read, oh, anyway, I, I've read one of them. It was like hit the, when he was a, a boy. Yeah. That's um, the one I, I didn't finish it. Well, anyway, okay. I remember in that the, uh, she had something like the power going out of him and he could feel it and it cost him. Uh, hmm. and, uh, and I just remember being sort of struck by that and thinking that was an interesting extra biblical idea. I mean, not that it's contrary necessarily to scripture, but she, she wanted to portray that the miracles were like painful for Jesus to perform. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think she's responding, you know, what is it? Is it just that he's annoyed? It could be because they're just, it's tiresome that they're so dense, mm-hmm. right? And that they're, you know, it's sort of like when your children are fighting right? It's just the worst, right? You just stop it. You know, you're being, and so, I mean, it could be a little bit like that, like the frustration we feel with 
children that are fighting and, and just kind of refusing to get along. I, though I think it could also be, I don't think Anne Rice was way, it's possible that, right, there's a cost to this mm. in, some, in some sense that we can't understand and, and isn't explained. But, but I think you're, he was absolutely right, whoever said that, that yeah. there is this kind of pressure or something, burden yeah. that he, he needs relief from. And he, he goes off alone up to the mountain to pray, off to Galilee, wherever. Uh, you, you bring something up that I think is important for biblical interpretation. Uh, and again, talking about the Reformed versus kind of the Lutheran view, uh, if you're if you're thinking about you know what we do in worship, you know the principle for the Reformed was unless it's specifically commanded, we don't do it. And uh, for the Lutherans, it was unless it's specifically condemned, it's okay to do it. You don't have to unless it's specifically commanded. But uh, I wonder if there's something with biblical interpretation too, um, where unless we have a specific word, there's kind of an openness to the imagination in terms of thinking about what that might look like or how it might be, not being dogmatic about it perhaps, but exploring those things uh, Whereas if you have like a very hard and fast rule, unless it specifically states it, it's completely out. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I will just, in case there's anybody reformed listening to this, which is unlikely, I, that, that is a, uh, reformed people get really annoyed by that characterization of their theology. So I think it's only a small sliver of the reform that would have that kind of an opinion. Yeah. Well, I the, mean, uh, yeah, I should but have anyway, said the but, very but the, hardcore in their principle. Yeah, yeah, it's certain. Yeah. Okay. But, but, uh, but anyway, just I'm only saying that because I've been yelled at by reform people yeah. for misrepresenting I mean, them. So. It is specifically called the regulative principle for worship. Yeah. So that's right. So anyway, that, but I do. I think you're right. There, there is a kind of. I mean, there is a tendency sometimes to, and I think Walther should bear some of the blame for this. This uh, He makes these extreme statements all the time about the word, the word only, nothing but the word. And, you know, when he's talking about sermons and, and he, he'll say things, um, I'm doing this from memory, but, you know, such as, you know, no speculation, no guessing, no imagining kind of things. And I think that's, I think that's actually bad practice, Um and uh, I think it is too limiting, and it's too rigid, and it's not actually taking the scriptures as they're intended, because they're intended to be enjoyed, and to be contemplated, and meditated upon, and talked about again and again, and over and over again. And I think a lot of times what, you know, the negative characterization of that is speculation. You're just speculating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, and that's sort of true, but I, I think what we're doing is we're playing, you know, it's, it's, there's a playfulness because God himself is playful yeah. and he delights in us and he delights in his word and words are joyful and they're meant to convey joy and they're meant to be right. I mean, poetry, one, I think one of the marks of poetry is that it's playful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and there's a lot of Bible, a lot of the Bible's poetry. So I, I think that actually imagining working through these things is helpful, um, Yes, it could be, you could go awry if you start, you know, making as doctrines, the traditions of men or speculative things. But mostly what we're doing is we're loving the word and we want to spend more time in it. And we want to, we want to be there. I mean, what is this Deuteronomy 6 thing, you know, about talking about it all the time? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if Walther's so serious about what he says, and I mean, I, I get, I, I mean, I can understand in some sense what he probably means, but if you take him literally, I don't know why we preach at all. We should just read the Bible out loud. <laughs> you know, that would be the, the word, the word only nothing but the word. Well, we're called to do more than that. And I think, so yeah, I think the, I think the Bible is, it's going to, I think the Bible is meant to be fun. Yeah. And I think it is fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy it. Yeah, I'd say the highlight of I mean, uh, it really. I love I love actually preparing sermons. The writing of the sermon can be tedious, but but actually the kind of prep work, you know, reading and starting to jot things, it's a it's a blast. I mm-hmm. often get very. Ex- I'm just you know I'm I'm working on this alone, you know, in my study, and I'll be like. I'll get excited. I'll, I'll be like, I'll like look around, like wishing there was somebody here to talk to about it, you know, and excited about the possibility of talking about it on Sunday. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's what we're supposed to, to do. We're right. Psalm, uh, Psalm one, right. We delight in the law of the Lord. Yeah. So in terms so, of uh, immediate context, um, I, I, I guess I kind of find it uh, maybe not ar- ironic, but um perhaps instructive that Jesus's teaching prior to this is um, it's not what goes in that defiles you, but what comes right. out of the mouth, because that comes from the heart. And the Canaanite woman who is defiled or unclean, period, because she's not part of the people, w- what's coming out of her mouth? I mean, she's right. demonstrating that she is, uh, well, that, that she isn't unclean. Exactly. Yeah. No, she's, I think it's, it's absolutely right. So chapter 15 is the scribes and Pharisees asking, why do your disciples transgress the tradition? Mm -hmm. And then Jesus says, you keep the tradition in order to break the law. And then he gives that, right? It's not what goes into a man, but what comes out. And then Peter says, right, asks him to explain this. And, uh, And he does explain it, calling the Pharisees blind leaders. But then it's immediately, right, here we have a Gentile woman who is, who is, unclean, ceremonially unclean, but she makes the same confession as Bartimaeus made, mm-hmm. Lord, son of David, have mercy. So uh, it's what's coming out of her, right? Not It's not because she's kept the Levitical law, because she hasn't, mm-hmm. but she has greater faith than anyone in Israel. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, no, I think the context is, is very helpful there, and I think it's deliberate. So have you in the past brought that up when preaching about this as kind of a, a introductory remarks? Right. Yeah. What is it that needs to come out? Because I think, uh, right, what needs to come out is confession. Yeah. And praise. But with the, it's pr- the same yeah, word sure. in Hebrew. <laughs> but That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's she's confessing before before men. And I think, you know, in, in the, you know, we just had Quinca Jesima two weeks before this. And, uh, you know, there you had Bartimaeus, who's, you know, told to shut up by the disciples, but won't. And mm-hmm. here you have this woman who's told to shut up by Jesus, and she won't. Yeah. So I think there's a nice context there. Uh, also, the context of demons, you know, there we, we often, you know, all the liturgical types, when they summarize Lent and the themes of Lent, the first four weeks are catechetical, you know. Okay. Um, I think there, I think we could go a little bit more more precise and say that they're catechetical about spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. about fighting and resisting temptation. And in resi- fighting and resisting temptation, you're fighting against the devil himself. 
Yeah. It, it sort of wants, to, I think Lent wants to up the stakes, right? Because we want to always lower the stakes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I'm just going to do this little thing. It's not going to matter. I'll repent later. Or it's not that big a deal or nobody will know. And they're here on Ash Wednesday, your heavenly father sees in secret, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's the, it's the devil that's tempting Jesus. He's not, it's right. We're again, when we, when we sin, we're playing with fire, you know? Yeah. Well, I, and that's something that um, Gerhard brings up in his introductory remarks on this text for a sermon. I think it's Gerhard where he says, oh. you know, last week we heard our greatest enemy appear to our Lord as though he were his greatest friend. This week we hear our greatest friend, our Lord appear to this woman as though he was her greatest enemy. Oh, that is great. That's very good. Yeah. That Gerhardt <laughs> makes us all look like chumps. <laughs> that's because we all are chumps compared yeah. to him. That's great. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I, I love that. Yeah. And to be on well, guard, the, I mean, right? Because yeah, sometimes to be on guard, it can right? appear as though what feels that's good right. or what's easy is the way forward. Um, yeah. And what's difficult is is not, you know, that should be avoided. Uh, but yeah. in the end, you know, it, it's not between always what's right and what's wrong. It's between what is right and what's easy. Yeah. Well, what was the temptation the woman faces? To leave. Exactly. To quit, I was going to say. But yeah, same thing, right? To leave, to quit, to give up, to, uh, right? Well, this is, and, uh, you know, this is, to me, I always think of the Jacob wrestling with the mm-hmm. second person of the Trinity, right? And um, you know, there's a there's a kind of combative nature here, yeah, that's going on. And and she her it's I mean the reason her faith is great isn't just what she says, but that she keeps on saying it, yeah. And she won't she won't she's going to hold him to his word. And she also I mean very uh, you know commendable that you know, he gets to make the rules, <laughs> so she submits to his rules. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's astounding that uh, that she doesn't argue with him, right? So, you yeah, know, she, you're okay, right. my she daughter's doesn't, she doesn't pick up, uh, she doesn't pick up a tug of war rope, like, oh yeah, well, no, no, she just keeps professing. Yeah, he he throws he throws down the gauntlet and she steps around it, and mm-hmm. then he throws down another one and she steps around it, and you know, she's 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 engaging him, but she's not going to, she won't allow him to be her enemy. So that's the thing. If she would have taken up the gauntlet, he'd be her enemy. Mm-hmm. I just thought of that. But that's the uh, that's the Gerhardt thing, right? And, yeah. and she comes with the most perfect, really the most perfect prayer, by the way. Uh, you know, she calls him the Messiah, oh Lord, asks for mercy on herself. And then the perp- the reason is because her daughter is severely possessed by a demon. I mean, it's a completely selfless request. She doesn't mm-hmm. say, Oh, you know, I'm 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 hungry, I don't have enough to eat. You know, I'm sick. I want to be well. You know, what I'm I'm poor. I want to be rich. No, nothing material at all. Not that those are have no place. In, but you know, she, that's not what it is. It's the most devastating thing, and it's not even directly for herself. It's for her daughter, and it's the thing that you know. It's most. This is what Jesus comes for most precisely. So if he's annoyed for people asking for miracles, I think it's the annoyance of the people asking for miracles that have to do with material goods, right? They lower the paralytic through the through the roof. Well, of course, you just want healing again, right? And he says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. So it doesn't matter if you're paralyzed. <laughs> but, but here, but here, right, this is, uh, this is not, 
not that. She's mm-hmm. not asking. She doesn't. I mean, it could be that this has caused physical problems for a daughter. Probably has, but you know, it's what she wants is their daughter to not go to hell. Yeah. So and and so, go ahead. Yeah, she's in the she's under the control of demons. Yeah. So I think that raises a question: um, Is this appropriate then to think about and even discuss who in our own lives in around us are currently oppressed by demons yeah, and, and call that was, out and say, go in prayer to your Lord to have mercy on you because these people are oppressed by demons. And what, what does it look like in our, in, in our day? What does demon oppression look like in our day? Um, not going to church. Okay. I mean, I think that's what I have written down. I think seriously, we, we, we've got to say, look, we, we got to be honest about what's wrong with your adult children. Mm-hmm. And uh, why are they? Why do they not come to church? And you know, we want. There, there's a temptation to make excuses for them, right? Oh, I know he believes deep down in his heart. Nope. I mean, you know, I, I hope he does. Okay, but but look, you know, he is engaged in a spiritual battle, and if you act like it's less than that, it seems to me that you're uh, mm-hmm. part of the problem. You're acting so- like it's no big deal that the demons keep him away. Yeah. So what so, are I mean, the lies that the demons are, um, are drawing them away from the truth? Well, it's just, it's again, it's like the devil in the desert, right? He doesn't say, uh, you know, don't go to church because you hate God, right. right? He says, well, don't go to church because, you know, you can meet God somewhere else and you need to take care of yourself. And this yeah. is when you need to sleep in or it's too far away and there's traffic or, you know, it's just... You know, you would go if it was a little more convenient, if it was a, if it was at a friendlier time, if it didn't take so long, if the sermons weren't so boring. It's not that you hate God. It's just that, you know, you can, you can, you can meet God on your own terms in your own place and so forth. Why should, I mean, it's just, that's the kind of stuff that's mm-hmm. right. The devil, the, the t- temptation is rarely do this openly wicked thing. Like you just right. said earlier, right? It's the t- difference between easy and right. Yeah. And that's that's the way that that our children and that we ourselves, you know, are being deceived, and we, we need to recognize that there's a deceiver who's deceiving us. This isn't mm-hmm. just a battle that's happening inside our own minds. That that's true too, right? The devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think we need to recognize the demonic influences. This is why we have exorcisms at baptism. Right. It's not that we think that the children, that there's a demon living inside a child, you know, controlling that child, moving his arms and legs and so forth. It's that we recognize that that child is subject to demonic influences mm-hmm. and we're driving those demons away. It's similar with a house blessing. It's not that we're saying a demon lives in this house. I mean, those that could be possible. But um, but it's it's more of a matter of, look, there there are demonic influences and forces around us that are invisible to human eyes and that, you know, are very friendly to us <laughs> and uh, they need to be driven away. Right. No, that's good. Um, in terms of translation, is there anything worth pointing out? You've already pointed out the, O oh Lord, son of David. Um, it's, you know, curious there. And yeah, so Definitely calling, and then you're calling him Yahweh and Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. 
and again, it's that same same thing from Bartimaeus. And then, and then, look, the disciples, that same group that told Bartimaeus to be quiet, right? Send her away, for she cries out after us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not behaving very well again. And yeah, this, it's such an interesting and poor response on their part. Uh, is it because they're prejudiced and they don't like her because she's a Canaanite? Um, is it because they don't trust that Jesus can actually help her and that's going to be embarrassing or uncomfortable? Um, or is it just, they, they just, maybe it's not prejudice. Maybe it's just standard, ordinary, selfish malice that they just, this, they don't want to waste that. They don't want to take the time it would take for Jesus to talk to her and help her. And mm-hmm. they hear what she says, right? She, she cries out after us repeatedly. So, She's saying her daughter is possessed by a demon, and they seem to be utterly lacking in sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, because of because she's Canaanite, because she's a woman, because I don't both, know. maybe because they're just tired maybe. of being <laughs> harangued by people. Because they don't really believe in demons, um, mm. they don't really think she could be. Pos- I don't know. I mean, I think, but it's it's shameful to be mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, Though, and then I mean, it's great. Jesus answers, right? And I was not sent. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, what's what's kind of surprising is that that's like a non sequitur. They said, "Send her away," and I think this is a kind of hidden mercy in this. He's not sending her away. He's talking about his own sending. So they say, "Send her away," and he says, "I was not sent." Yeah. Except to the, and uh, that, that's a, it's an interesting response that doesn't seem to, he's not directly responding to what they said, even though he uses a word that they used. And of course it's a setup, right? Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't Caleb one of the spies? Wasn't he a Canaanite? What? No, he's a, he's, he's an Israelite. He's not a Canaanite. Is he? I'm showing my ignorance. I hate it when you do that. I don't know. I I thought he was. You think he's a Canaanite? Uh, <laughs> I I don't. Uh, his name means dog. Um, yeah. Just, uh, where where is that? Is it? Um, it says jo- Joshua, right? It's got to be. Oh no! No, he is. He's from the tribe of Judah. Whew. It's Numbers thirteen. Oh, it's Numbers. Okay. Yeah, Caleb, son of Jephuna from the tribe of Judah. I wonder if the word Canaan is somehow related to the word dog. I mean, Hmm. canine. (laughs) Kuna, isn't it? I don't actually. So I haven't had my Greek New Testament for three days because it's at my house because I just got back from a trip and I keep forgetting to bring it it back to work. But isn't the word, uh, the Greek word, isn't it like kuna, kune for dog? Um, let me look here. Here, here it's a 26. different one, right? Because it's a, it's a uh, diminutive, right? Yeah, kunarios. Yeah, so that kunarios. does have letters, at least. Seems like yeah. I wonder if I never thought of that before. I wonder if he's if that's a play on um, the, the Canaanite thing. Yeah, and and Could probably be. just the kind of typical insult that Jews leveled at you know unbelievers, right? Like you. Yeah, I mean, you have that sort of cultural kind of thing that a, a dog is a, like, you know, sort of, you know, like American pigs kind of thing. You know, they're just, I don't know, you wouldn't say American dogs if you were uh, whatever, a, a Shiite Muslim, you know, mm-hmm. at war with America. You'd say American pigs. Um, you know, that is the, the dogs thing is kind of like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Could be, yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah. So, so then, but this is this is, I think, in a way, my favorite moment in verse twenty-five. That in response to this, she worships him. Uh, and I mean, so he says this thing that on the surface seems to say, "You're not my people, right? I'm not. I wasn't sent for you. I'm not helping you." And then her response is to worship. And rather than saying, yes, I am, right, I'm a descendant of Adam or whatever, or Noah or whatever she might have said, uh, now she just says, Lord, help me, which I think is also interesting that it, it's distilled down that she's no longer explaining why he should help her or how he should help her. Yeah. So, it, so it's an interesting response. Did she hear something in it that indicated she's of the house the, law, the the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, I wonder if it if she sees in it um, a reference to the temple, right? That he is right the, the the house of Israel, not meaning just the nation of Israel, but maybe meaning you know the house of prayer, mm-hmm. and 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 then responding to that as recognizing him as the house of prayer and mm-hmm. the house of Israel. So she, so. So she was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of prayer for all people. Well, that includes her then, right? I mean, the house of prayer for all people. So, so then she prays. She, I mean, she worships him in response to that. She doesn't get caught up in the fact, I don't know. I just, I wonder if she's, she's, she's sort of saying in this, this is what the lost sheep do when they come into contact with uh, the temple, Right. They okay. come back. They worship, and and of course, you know this, uh, you know this uh, going down on her face like this is is also, of course, it's a uh, act of humiliation. Mm-hmm. I mean, is so she's yeah. How does uh, where does that phrase pop up in the Old Testament? Have, do you have, what? do you have that handy? That house of Israel? No, no. I mean, the house of Israel. I think almost. I think it means the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm the people of Israel, but I'm saying maybe she hears in it the house of prayer, right? So what is the house that's in Israel where Israel is one and is united and mm-hmm. for what is, was Jesus sent? I mean, the other funny thing with this could be also, you know, Israel, of course, is the new name given to Jacob after the wrestling. Right. So, you know, it seems like there are some hints in the, in this vocabulary and the way that these things are phrased that she seems to be picking up on. I, but I don't know. I don't think you're going to find the temple ever referenced as the house of Israel. Mm-hmm. I think she has to sort of read deeper and, you know, sort of look harder and squint and then recognize that he is actually the house, you know, the temple. Sure. And so what do you do at the temple? You worship and you pray. And there's a court of Gentiles, right? I mean, she's just you know, and the, all that stuff. So I'm just, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm struggling with here is that seems like more of a jump to me than seeing that she's part of the lost sheep. Well, but she's I mean, not, of the, way she's, she's not, of. would, would she be part of that? Or is that a yeah, rebuke of it. the disciples? I mean, who what, are the when, lost sheep of the house of Israel? Who, who are those people? I mean, I, it seems, it seems as though at this point in time, they Anyone who's from a de- or a descendant of Jacob is considered in, right? So who- yeah, I think I think the Jews. I mean, this is the Jews. This is the people of Judah, not the Samaritans, not the Canaanites. That that's why I think she has to she has to look deeper and make a jump 
She has to find a way for Jesus, who's acting like her enemy, to actually be her friend. Mm. So it, I mean, there's so something the to this worship. Sheep, that means they're they're scattered because they don't have a shepherd. Well, and maybe so he's you know, saying, maybe, you know, they don't have a king, hmm. and so I'm here to be their king. And so he, she, she falls down to say, essentially, like, I recognize you as my king. Okay. Could I guess be. I'm just trying to put this together in terms of like Old Testament language and not just that she's making a jump that he's now the new temple, that, that when that Messiah King comes, there's gotta be, there are promises that it's inclusive of more than just oh, yeah. the descendants of, uh, of Jacob. So right, right. But I, go ahead. I mean, but what would be the, I mean, what would be the other way of talking about the nation of Israel or the biological descendants of Jacob? In the new te- in the Old Testament, other than House of Israel, I don't know um, the children of Abraham. Yeah, children um, of Abraham. The uh, the, the people. Um, what's the what, what, how's people? The word peoples used sometimes. Yeah, his his special um, possession. I mean, it, I just wonder if she's picking up on this. He doesn't use those words. He uses this house language. Mm-hmm. But and she any in, in any case, she does worship a. Yeah, no, it's definitely and, an act and of praise, worship. Yeah, and and praise right. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I'm just, I'm struggling to see if there's something there with like the king angle. Well, it doesn't seem to me shepherd. like king language. Um, yeah, shepherd is that would be the more, uh, uh, the most explicit, right? Um, right. But if you're talking about lost sheep, that means they're lost because they don't have a shepherd. Yeah. Right. Right. And shepherd yeah. is is Old Testament language for king, to be sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, let's go on. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Are you sure you don't want to beat that some more? (laughs) Okay. Um, So she worships him. Um, Do you have more like textually or do you want to head to the fivefold? Well, I wish, I wish she would have in verse 27 said, amen. And Uh, uh, she says, yes, Lord, that would have been a perfect place to use the word amen. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's just that great. We all love that so much, of course. The uh, the way that she, you know, she he throws down the gauntlet again. She steps around it, but she picks up his vocabulary and uses it against him. He accuses mm-hmm. her of wanting to take the children's bread, and she says, "I don't want the children's bread. I want your bread." And uh, I'm happy with the crumbs that fall from from your table. She also then calls him, so she accepts the she accepts being a dog. As as long as you know she's there at his table and she, he's her master and she gets to eat his crumbs, but she's not taking anything away from anybody else. And I think that is important in light of verse twenty four that I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? Um, you know the the salvation of the Gentiles does not destroy the salvation of believing Jews, mm-hmm. right? It's um, not a zero sum game. Right. Well, also, in fact, St. Paul says, right, that, that the salvation of the Gentiles is actually a, a call of repentance and to faith to the Jews. Mm-hmm. So, but... Uh, but why yeah, would she, said, why I wish would she say amen? I mean, she's not speaking Aramaic, is she? She's Canaanite. Oh. So maybe nigh, I think they are yes, sp- is amen. Yeah. I mean, we translate mm. it, yes, yes, it shall be so. <laughs> right. I don't know. You don't think she was... Yeah, I guess she's not speaking Hebrew. She's probably speaking Aramaic. I, 
or Greek even. She could be even speaking Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would just like it better if it was Amen. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that Marcourt used to always make a big deal about um, the diminutive of her dogs there because he, he felt that that was also a kind of term of affection and he was holding out a, a hand to her, you know, to sort of welcome her. Mm-hmm. Lap dogs. I don't know if I, I don't know if I buy that completely, but, but these are, these are not right. These were, these were pets were, which were, which were unusual, um, in the ancient world, not, uh, you know, a, regular dogs were for protecting and hunting. Yeah. And herding. Is, is this the diminutive, the Kinariois? I thought Mark's version had the diminutive. I don't know because I'm not looking at the Greek. I, is there no? It's. I thought it was. Is there an adjective? Nothing. I'm just reading it in English and throw it to the little dogs. I can look on my canary on because it'd just be kune would be dog. So yeah, I think that is a diminutive. Okay. All right. Right. I'm doing this from memory. Yes, that is wrong. a diminutive. I feel like I'm. I'm really stretching out here. You're catching me on a lot of stuff. I'm not confident on. It's your spiritual gift. <laughs> yeah, you know, they they use the same word, Mark and okay, Matthew. So, I thought they used different words, but the you're right. The uh, oh, what's his name? He did the whole Marquardt. No, he did the whole commentary on the New Testament. He's a Lutheran. Lenski. He makes a big deal oh. out of this being a, a like a. Not just diminutive, but uh, like a playful, loving word for a dog. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I, in I, part of me, I find it actually maybe more insulting. So, yeah, like you're a little dog. You're 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 even worthless at being a dog, right? What, yeah. what dogs are for is right, and you're just a stupid dog that Paris Hilton can carry in her purse. You can't actually act like a dog. Yeah. What well, they make. <laughs> <laughs> they make it um when when Lenski talks about it, he's like here he's giving her the thing to cling on to. Yeah. Like saying well, that's, that's the, true. the diminutive yeah. that you know this is a house dog, this is a pet. Uh yeah. So that that she's something she can latch on to and agree with. Maybe she does. I mean I it it is something that she does latch on to, but it does, I don't know. You know, I I'm also thinking of you know Caesar's commentary on the war, where he, where he complains about the the demise of uh, Rome and how terrible it is. Or, or what's it? So I think he says it's been a while. I think he actually I think he says that he's heard this reported, but he can't believe it. I think that's how he does it. It's like oh, but the Roman women would certainly never. They're treating their dogs like babies, <laughs> carrying them around in baskets and pampering them, and uh, he's like that's too. Roman women would never do that. I think that's how it goes. But anyway, uh, yeah, see, it's just not the diminutive dog thing doesn't, imp- I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too jaundiced. I just have too much of an idea that a dog should be working. Mm. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I think that's, that's, I think that's fair speculation and playing with the text and trying to find stuff. So I'm not going to, I'm not condemning the idea that, I just don't know that I that I buy it, but I don't think it violates the text. And mm-hmm. uh, I think you, it's worth thinking about, and you could make something of it. Yeah. 
All right. So what about then the fivefold use or do you have right. more on the text that you wanted to? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, we, I, we didn't say this. It's probably clear. I mean, Jesus obviously is exercising her faith. He's mm-hmm. distilling it down to a purer form and strengthening it by causing it to be used so that she, she clings to the word. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and that uh, only training, happens in resistance, right? That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why he acts like her enemy. I like that acts like her enemy thing. Uh, training, I think, has lots of applications here, right? That that uh, hope suffers pain, loss, and insult and expects to get stronger, mm-hmm. right? That hope keeps praying, that hope also accepts in humility what Jesus calls us. And here it's sheep or a little yappy dog, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not sheepdog. It's not warrior. I don't want to I mean, I don't want to go down this road I again. I know. <laughs> But here, at least, right? I mean, there is this kind of right. There is the the terms that he uses for us are terms of weakness, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we have to embrace. Hope embraces that and says, like her, I, I want to be a yappy little dog as long as I'm your dog. I don't need to be the hero of this story. I don't need to be the strong one that's protecting. I'm right in this yeah, but, relationship. But in, I'm the okay, subordinate. So, but the expectation is that there would be, they would get stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Not that they're still so, going to be the hero, but that they would grow right. in strength and confidence and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, you know, right. And she's, uh, uh, so, but there is this kind of humility of accepting that, right, the strength comes from Jesus and mm-hmm. so forth. And we take the terms he gives us. Of course, also I'd say, you know, not in this text, but beggars, sinners, tax collectors, mm-hmm. right, those sorts of things. So, so to, this is a, this, what she exhibits, I mean, it's faith, of course, he calls it faith, but it's also hope that, mm-hmm. that she believes that he is good, even when he's acting in these ways that appear to be contrary to that goodness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking, okay, because you always like very specific stuff. Um, I was thinking So what about, would be the correction like, to that? So I, well, the correction, I always the correction see the fivefold use as, you know, training in righteousness, and then on his opposite side, there's a correction to what they're not doing is it giving up too soon is it um is it uh seeking the easy way what's that correction yeah i think it's both of those i think i think there's either seeking the easy way or right um believing the devil's lies and going to despair Mm -hmm. i prayed it didn't work therefore god's not real or doesn't love me or whatever right and she, okay. she's got worse. I mean, for us, it's pretty much I prayed and nothing happened, right? I mean, that which is bad enough. But, you know, she prays. She gets these direct rebukes almost. Yeah. So Well, for, for us, we, we think of it in the same way. Well, I know. Right, right. But it's not. But it's not. But you say way. that. You say that with regard to the son. You know, if a dad says, hey, bud, you know, and they don't reply that is an affront to yeah. the father. So right. we get the same way because, and, and that's the thing, like, because we think we're that in, in control. Yeah. Not in control. Right. Maybe that's part of it too, the correction. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And we, we think we know what we need. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not asking for this cause you know, I, I'm asking for this cause I need it. <laughs> right. I'm not just asking for, you know, sprinkles on top of the cake but I mean, I feel like I'm asking for something that's essential, but in fact, I don't know, I don't mm-hmm. know what's essential. So 
Yeah. Good. Yeah. So I think that's right. right. We think we're in control. So So, I had this, I thought I was thinking about this in terms of, I, I thought about body image. So, you know, there is this kind of, uh, reality where we're frustrated with the genetics that we've been given, whatever. We're not good looking enough. We're not tall enough. We're not, right? And mm-hmm. um, I mean, this is like a, becoming a worse problem, it seems. It's always been somewhat of a problem. But, but I was thinking about that, how, you know what? You just have to suffer the body you got. Uh, this, is what, this is the genetics you were given. And uh, trusting that somehow this is for good, that you're not better looking, that you're not taller, and and to believing that God loves you and that He's using the particularities of your body for your good and for the good of your neighbor, right? To sort of suffer mm-hmm. it and learn to look deeper, right? Because you know maybe we're praying, you know, whatever. I wish I was stronger. I wish I was taller. I wish I was prettier. I mean, okay, you can pray for those things, but maybe we need to, we do need to step back and say, am I really asking for things that are really have been promised uh, mm-hmm. or things that are actually good objectively? Yeah. Or am I really just asking for an easier life and pleasure and esteem? Why do I want it? Why do the girl, why does the girl want to be prettier? It's not so that it's, it's not so that, you know, she could be a better Christian. I mean, it's so that, you know, people would think more of her, like yeah. her better. Right. You, you hit on something I think really important here. There, there's no envy in what this woman does. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's no wishing she were someone else. There's no yeah. wishing. I wish I weren't a Canaanite. You know, she, right. she's just, um, she, she's only focused on Jesus. Yeah. So all of our jealousy, jealousies, or en- the envy, the covetousness, mm-hmm. right? That, that we would go, okay, I'm not as whatever. I'm not as tall as I wish or as I'd like to be. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to suffer this in hope that mm-hmm. is in the confidence that, that God loves me and he's working all things together for good. And he didn't make me this height accidentally. Mm-hmm. Well, you can just get a big truck and compensate for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Have you been looking at my internet history? <laughs> <laughs> I have looked. They're awful expensive. It's the only thing that stopped me. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, So I think that, you know, some of that training and righteousness and correction in that way could be good. But but to focus on the, it's kind of doctrinal too, of course. Uh, What is hope, right? Mm. How does hope endure and and, and proceed, right? Because, Because she doesn't see the end of this in the middle of this. She doesn't know where it's going and it doesn't seem to be going in a good direction, mm-hmm. but she believes it's good and that he's good anyway. Yeah. I got another correction for you. Yeah. Uh, so he is uh, he is no respecter of persons, right? So the fact mm-hmm. that she's a Canaanite, the fact that she's a woman, right? He, uh, and uh, I was thinking about, you know, the proverb about justice where don't favor the poor, or show partiality to the rich. And of course, mm-hmm. that sentiment is repeated many times. And, uh, you know, I think really like racism, straight up kind of transparent racism is partial to the rich or the powerful. Mm-hmm. But, but like DEI and critical race theory and a lot of these sort of things are actually favoring the poor, right? Mm-hmm. They're making, you know, uh, you have to be a victim to be the, to be the powerful, in a weird way. 
and all of this kind of stuff. I just got introduced yesterday to child liberation theology, and it is the most moronic, wicked thing I've practically ever seen in my life. Have you ever heard of this? No. What is it called again? It's child liberation theology. And it's liberation theology, but like instead of, you know, Jesus being a Latino woman, or God being a Latino woman, now it's God is a child. And children should not be told what to believe or they, because that is oppressive to them. They need to discover it or find it on their own. And they, they sh- every, you know, and just on and on, just total idiocy. Um, and really, but, but it's, it's part of it, I think, is, and it's not enough, of course, as the guy that was presenting this said, it's not enough to be pro-child. You have to be anti-adult. Mm. And, uh, and it's just this, it's just the same thing in this new, because you have to find a way to be a victim. Children are being oppressed by their parents because they're being told what is true. Mm-hmm. And they're being oppressed by their parents because their parents are trying to get them to eat certain foods. And it's insane. But, but anyway, it is a kind of favoring of the poor, right? Jesus doesn't show partiality. And uh, there is this reality of his word and his goodness and his promise. And he doesn't care if she's Canaanite, and he doesn't care if the disciples are Jews, and he doesn't care what a thousand years ago the Jews didn't do to the Canaanites or the Canaanites did before that to the Jews. Uh, they're people, and they're the people in front of him, and he's not judging them by their ancestors or the color of their skin. He's, he's judging them by their confession and by their hearts. Mm-hmm. And he's, it's, it's, it's a, I mean... You know, it might be a time. So you could go. You could so go in other words, some of that. That might be a, a good point, though. He doesn't withhold judgment because of who they are or where they came from. He judges them right. all equally, and he doesn't withhold mercy um, right. because of who they are, or where they came from, or what they have or what they don't have. Right. They don't get. Nobody gets a pass. Right. I mean, it's not like just like, oh, well, normally, if, if you were a Jew, I would tell you this, but I'm not going to tell you that because you're, I mean, that's, it's just outrageous. So yeah, you this could be a, this could be a, uh, a opportunity to really rail against some stuff and get yourself in trouble. Well, you know, maybe that's something to expose within the sermon itself, because we always feel bad for her. Do we feel bad for the Pharisees when he goes after them? Yeah. No, that's right. So well, she she's is being just as nicer. hard on them as, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they're acting poorly and she's <laughs> acting. <laughs> I think we kind of right to feel sorry for her because, I, I mean, he's acting like he's her enemy. And in response to her, you know, make, doing good things. So, yeah. But, but at the same time, right, it's again, it's like, you know, this maybe it's a bit like feeling sorry for the marathon runner. You know, yep. but how many about, times about, do the Pharisees, you know, use high sounding language, Lord or teacher true. or, I mean, right. we're told, you know, that they're seeking to entrap him. Um, how much of this is a show, not a show, but a demonstration kind of a, um, what do they call that in teaching uh, where your object lesson for the disciples as well? Oh, I think it is a kind of object lesson for the disciples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after, you know, they, they can't understand this, what comes out of a man yeah. what de- is what defiles it. Yeah. Okay. I got a, here's a, here's another, here's a doctrinal thing. 
that we don't spend much time on, I don't think, and that is that there are degrees of faith, right? She has great faith. Uh, of course, only God can measure faith, but this woman has great faith, and of course, so does the centurion. And her, you know, the real kind of uh, thing for her is that she doesn't give up. Uh, the real thing for him is that he he recognizes the authority of the word of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But that you could contrast this. I did. I just did this very quickly, but I looked up where Jesus talks about little faith, O ye of little faith. And it's only actually three times. Um, I mean, it's more than that, but it's, you know, in the synoptics, but they're the same same event. So on the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, there's the warning about, uh, he calls them a little faith when they're worrying about clothing. Yeah. And then in uh, at the storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee, he calls them that because they're worrying about dying. And then... Uh, he calls them uh, a little, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they say, oh, he's saying that because we forgot to bring bread. <laughs> so they're like worried about food, I guess. And then he says, you forgot about the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, O ye of little faith. I think you could say that all three of those have to do with being sort of caught up in concern about material things mm-hmm. rather than spiritual things. And yeah. that they're little, it's little faith because it's being threatened to be choked out by worry. Whereas, right, she is, her faith has been distilled down to this. It starts out good with the, uh, she's concerned for her daughter and demons, uh, but it gets distilled down to kind of this purity where all she wants is just to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, is there anywhere in the dogmaticians that discusses this degree? I think that I think Gerhardt does in um, I think Pieper does too, actually, but I don't I didn't look it up. But I mean, yeah, there are degrees of faith. I mean, there, here we see it, little faith and great mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. So I think it's worth talking a little bit about could be, you know, about what is faith? How does it grow? Right. I mean, talk about sanctification and, you know, we are called to, for, for, we're not like, I remember uh, this is a long time ago, somebody, somebody boasting about, well, I just have a simple faith. This was because he didn't like things I was teaching. Right. So it was just going to, I was like, we, and it was, and it was, you know, we, we should have communion every Sunday. That's what it was. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I can't argue with you. You know, I just have a simple faith and uh, you know, I, I just wanted to say, no, no, you're a simpleton. That's what it is. Yeah. And there's no excuse for being a, I mean, you know, just willfully being ignorant and not being willing to engage in the arguments and search the scriptures is not a virtue. That's not a simple faith to be commended. That's hiding behind simplicity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, then so, take my word for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That's what I always want to say to them. They're like, I can't argue with you. You know more about the Bible than me. I always want to say, well, that means I win. That's like, <laughs> I mean, what, what, this is how we this is how we decide these things. If, yeah. if you're not going to bring, how I mean, we you don't you can't be like, oh, this is you know, this is like going to war and going, hey, I, you know, this, you, you're you've got a bigger and better better equipped army and trained, so you know, I'm just going to call this war off. Yeah, no, you don't get to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you should you should say we should say when that happens. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's that it's that same thing that just doesn't want to do the work. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not as though we couldn't be wrong. Of course we could be, but at least we're try- at least we're quoting the Bible. And if we're quoting it wrongly, well, then demonstrate that to us. And if you've got Bible passage contrary to what we're saying, by all means, share them. Right. You know, just, just, just claiming that I know I'm right, even though I don't have any Bible passages to prove it. I mean, that's not a Christian response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is that's a huge annoyance to me. I haven't I I have not faced that in a lot of years though. I've been S- spoiled lately. So what's the refutation that goes along with this degrees of faith? Is it what you're talking about the uh, having pride in s- that simplicity? Yeah, I think or or you know, pretending, yeah, hiding from it, unwillingness to do the work. Um a kind of refusal to actually be sanctified mm-hmm. because growth is painful or again comes through resistance. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to, so like this woman, right? So we are tempted to feel, I mean, I do feel sorry for her to some degree, but you know, if you think about, you, you don't feel sorry for the marathon runner in the last half mile, right? If you see him suffering terribly, you know, and he's only 13 miles into it, and you're like, oh my gosh, how's he going to make it? Right? It looks look like, looks like he's going to fall over, and uh, he's in terrible pain and anguish. But you know, he he wants to do this, and he wants to finish it. Mm-hmm. And if he does, he's going to be, you know, he's going to feel good about it. He's accomplished something. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine, you know, running out and tackling a marathon runner to save him the pain of what he's doing? <laughs> it, so it, it's, uh, I mean, what she's doing is believing. And mm-hmm. uh, in some sense, you know, we should be glorifying her and rejoicing in how she's believing. I, you know, we're kind of, we're tempted to get sort of focused on what Jesus says, because, you know, it sounds so harsh, and then and then we, we want to explain it. But, you know, maybe we should put our emphasis on her responses. Yeah. yeah. So uh, m- maybe there's room uh, to have something about you know the the pressure that we feel from the world we can say uh, as something to remind ourselves is look i've wrestled with god about stuff this is nothing yeah yeah right he's right. tested me in other ways uh as a, n- not a way to like set it aside or think of it as is really nothing but like i've already done we've already been through har- more difficult things as a way to look back and say, and and who's to say that he's not behind these things too? Right. I mean, I do think there's a Eucharistic application here with the whole crumbs thing, the bread. I mean, to me, Jesus' answer about it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. If if I if I see a handle there for her to grab onto, you know, a, a merciful thing, it's not the little dogs; it's the bread. It's the fact that he brings up bre- the children's bread. And, uh, Why is that? Well, it's, I mean, because whenever I see bread, I see Holy Communion, just like whenever I see water, I see baptism. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I think this whole idea of her wanting to be in, I mean, you could see this when she says that she wants to be the little dog at his table, under his table, eating his crumbs. She doesn't want somebody else's bread. She wants his bread and she wants to be in fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. So, so again, right, there's that, The the. I mean, to, I was like with what you were saying was it's uh, we see how God is actually providing in the places that he's promised to. Yeah. So, you know, what we, what we need to see is 
in, in the midst of our, our troubles and our difficulties and our, our doubts and temptation is that the Lord actually gives what he says in the sacrament of the altar. Mm-hmm. He actually speaks in his word. He's never failed us. What's that? The Gerhardt hymn. The, uh, I love that line and I can't believe I can't think of it. Why um, should cross and trial grieve Cross me? and trial grieve. Well, yeah, no, is that what, well, anyway, is that the one where there's something about, you know, how, how God's never failed us in the past anyway. Uh, I don't remember what it is, but. Okay. Yeah. But I, I think we got to go, I would go, want to go a little bit deeper than even Gerhardt there. Cause it's not just that God has never failed me in the past. I, I know that's true according to faith, but if I look at it, I can see some stuff that didn't go the way I wanted. And it feels like even to this day, it looks like, you know, I got shafted. Right. Uh, but, but when I look at the history of Israel, because I have an, a more objective view of it, like this woman didn't get shafted. Mm-hmm. This woman got praised by Jesus. O- only she and the centurion get that. So it, th- there's, I can see kind of in the, in the Bible and in the narratives of the Bible, there I can see how God never fails any of those people, right? Mm-hmm. And so even, he doesn't fail Judas, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't fail Pilate. He doesn't fail Pharaoh. I mean, even the people that, that don't respond well, it's, you know, Jesus is there, you know, reaching out with his grace and they respond badly, but he's consistent. Yeah. And uh, it's harder for me to see that in my own life, uh, but, but by seeing my own life in light of the story of God's people, then I can go, okay, I know that must be also true in my life. So, you know... I didn't win the fifth grade spelling bee and, you know, I'm still very sad about that and feel cheated <laughs> or whatever it is that I'm, you know, and of course it's not usually that trivial, but, but, but I think, uh, you know, I can, I can look at my life, my regrets, mm-hmm. my grudges, my anger, and I can say, and I can say, well, look at, look at how he treats his people and how he uses that for good. That has to be true for me also. Right. Even though I can't see it yet. Something that I um, I do myself, and I try to instruct my congregation to do, something that Lauren's dad mentioned, just kind of off the hand, off the cuff. He's like, we were just sitting around. This is early on uh, in uh, our marriage, and he's like, you you got to create a miracle file, like where you know when you don't know how you're going to pay something, and the funds come in. Or you don't know what's going to happen, and it gets resolved because you're going to forget, and you got to you got to write them down so that when you get into another slip, you can see how the Lord has provided, not just to others in the Bible, but also to you in your own past. Oh, that's good. I like that. I mean, that seems like you know, not completely dissimilar from like these gratitude journals. Yeah. Which, you but know, it have, takes have time. A, You've got to sit down yeah. and think and remember to do these things. And again, that's difficult. It's not easy. Yeah, um, right. But we are constantly looking for God's activity in our lives. And, you know, we should write down when he's been active. Yeah. When he's prayed, when, when we've prayed and he's answered and delivered and to remember. I mean, this is what the psalmists do, right? Yeah, yeah. They recount the wonderful deeds. I mean, part of the problem is, you know, when I when I lose the spelling bee, I figure I got shafted. 
when I win the spelling bee, I figure it's because of my hard work. Right. I mean, there's 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 that side of things too that makes it harder to actually see these moments of providence or miracles and uh, things to be grateful for. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the whole double standard thing too that gets in the way. That which is just, I mean, we ought to know as Christians that nothing comes to us because of our hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that God doesn't use our hard work, but right, you can do, you can do the hard work, and it can still fail, and it would if it wasn't for right God's providence. Yeah, so, and you wouldn't have the hard work ability yeah, if it do. weren't given to you by God. Right, right. But we do, we do want to take credit for, uh-huh. you know. Well, yeah. look what I did, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So anyway, I, yeah, I did start a miracle file after that and start. Yeah, do you still you still you still have it? Mm-hmm. I, and you know, when something happens or you know we're struggling through something, and I, you know, you, you kind of see the resolution of that. Write it down mm-hmm. and chalk it up. Can to, you can you uh, can you give us uh, any real examples, or are they too personal? Well, I mean, early on, it was, you know, uh, a broke seminarian and, okay, am I going to give to the church what I've promised to give or keep and pay this bill? And uh, I'm struggling through that. And lo and behold, someone sends a check during, you know, to, so I could do both. Okay. I mean, so that's like early on, but- you know, some of them are, um, yeah, some of them are more personal, uh, you know, things that were going on in the congregation that you're wrestling over or, um, yeah. things like that. So maybe I should do an interview with Lauren and we could get all your dirty laundry out at once. I okay. think our listeners would, in, would enjoy that. I don't think I they know would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if you just want the dirt, you could just call her up. <laughs> Lauren, what idiot, idiotic things are in the miracle file that Jason is too ashamed to tell us about? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, I would expect I would expect a miracle file would be a lot of very personal things. Yeah, um, that's why that's why I asked it that way. There, there's just that you know, because they're they're real things that were a struggle for you. Uh, you know that 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 God provided a way out of or a solution to that. Maybe should have never been in that situation, yeah. or right? Uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, some no, of I think that I would say some of it is, you know, from perhaps my own stupid decisions, but also, um, I mean, just like you know, life in the ministry. Sometimes you get you're in a situation where it's like, um, this is some of it is personal to other people, right? Right. That I'm that I'm also trying to protect, like. Yeah. Where I was struggling with how are we going to deal with this, and um, and to see God's work, I don't want to say ironing it out, but you know reconciling that. Yeah, you know when you don't want to do the thing that you know you have to do. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, I was. And, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I never. I'm so terrible. I never expect the gospel to work in my <laughs> fallen flesh. It's. I mean, I know the word of God does not return void. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I could make my, I mean, I've, there's just like, you know, people that whatever, whether it's confirmation students or weddings or people that transfer to the church. And I'm in the back of my mind, just like, 
these people aren't going to make it, you mm-hmm. know, they're going to be delinquent members soon or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, which is terrible. I mean, an inappropriate of me anyway, I should trust in the gospel and believe that God works through it, but it's also unfair to these people. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I could probably, I mean, it's, it's pretty much everybody on my membership roster. I pretty much thought that I pretty much don't expect anybody to be a believer. So they probably well, you know, know that already, but, but part of that is to like, but no, you're right. I think you that's write exactly that down, right, then you can, I mean, every once in a while you just pull it out because you'll see it in your files or you, you know, you've got it on your desktop okay. in terms of like a, a, a typed out document. Um, yeah. and you know, you, you get something new and you put it down and then you, every time you pull it up, you can recount all of those things. Hmm. And it's just kind of nice. Cause you're like, look, I know theologically and doctrinally that God is active, but you know, <laughs> right. to actually take the time and ponder and praise and, uh, and think about the times he has been, um, it's not something I do from the pulpit. It's not something, but I do tell people to think about those things like, cause he is. Yeah. And not as a, a badge of something to, to brag about, but just as a reminder to you, like, look, it's not for just for other people. It's, it's yeah. Also I think that it's makes not just for the, them then either. Right. No, that's right. You're right. So anyway, uh, consolation. Uh, well, he hears and answers prayers. He defeats demons. Uh, he accepts Canaanites. Um, he also, uh, I think we didn't say much about it, but it did come up a little bit. He also does do this for the benefit of the disciples themselves. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, by extension for us. I mean, this, there, there is this very deliberate telling of this account, you know, for, for our sake that we would learn. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, just the, I don't. I like to talk about how the the Bible itself is such a is such a gift that's been just handed to us on a silver platter, right? That these things are written down for us is amazing, and then you know that we just have such easy access to it. Mm-hmm. Even if you leave your Greek New Testament at home, you have English Bibles. You know, it's just. <laughs> I mean, there's just. It's not like Bibles are hard for us to to come by to access. Yeah, and uh, you know what a beautiful. What a beautiful account. This is the first text I ever preached on as a is it really? seminary student. Yeah. So, you know, field work my first year at the Vicarage or a field work congregation midweek Lent service. Yeah. Hmm. So, so uh, have you ever done the stage play? You're the director for this one. Oh, you know, I don't think I have, but it would be a good one to do it with. Okay. You could do. Well, maybe you we'll could have do, to pick got, that up I'm, next year. There, since there we're, you go. That's right. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put that down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As a reminder. All right. Well. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? Nope. I think we're good. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Dave. <laughs>